Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. We did it. The premiere episode. It's happening. It is happening. I just want to say it finally happened. Yep. After what, two years? Two years. We were like, oh, we should do a podcast about Star Trek. We should do yeah. Now mm-hmm. we're doing it. Yep. Thank you, pandemic. Like yes. Thank you. Well, yeah. <laughs> thank you, India. Um, we did not plan to do that. No. <laughs> okay, well, what's up? I'm Aki Burmese. <laughs> and I'm Steph Manns. And you are listening and watching right now Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. So if you are watching live on Facebook, this will be a podcast that is also an audio podcast, which you can listen to after the fact every single Monday. Or any time thereafter. You can, you, can, you can download it Monday and listen to it Wednesday if That's you want. That's true. You can do whatever you like. Yeah. We won't stop you. We don't prescribe when you need to listen to the show. Yeah. There's no prescription against listening to it at any given time. So, Aki, let's tell the people, what is Set Phasers all about? Set Phasers. Okay, you're here with us. Set Phasers is about Steph and I. We love Star Trek. We sometimes sit down and watch some Star Trek and then text back and forth. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, can you believe this is happening? Yeah. And we love the new Star Trek franchise, mm-hmm. Star Trek Discovery, yep. which is uh, has completed two seasons, but... Possibly a third is coming at some point next year or the later this year. No one really knows because they finished filming right before everything shut down. But we thought it would be cool to do a podcast where we go back through all the episodes of season one and season two. Mm-hmm. And then when season three comes out, we'll just do a like a watch. We're an watching the show. show. Yeah. yeah, we're doing an after show. So that's what set phasers is. It's highly illogical. It's mm-hmm. just how we feel, how much we love Star Trek. What a wonderful way to introduce the show, Aki. Good job. Good job. Thank you. Thank Good you. job. All right. I told people I could talk about Star Trek all the time. So should we get into <gasps> should what we, we do? Should we do the rundown? Do you want to I do the recap? To run it. I think it's time to run it down. <gasps> that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, well, that makes me so happy. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? What just happened? Can you run it down for me? So much joy. Wow, it's uh, it's just <laughs> it's, it's a great deal of of something. Someone was very enthusiastic when recording that. All right, mm. so today we are talking about the pilot episode, season one, episode one of Star Trek Discovery, entitled "The Vulcan Hello." Mm-hmm. Yes, everything begins here, and it's such a great prelude. Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, it's so wonderful and rich, and yet you don't really know how rich and wonderful it will turn out to be in the end. Uh, there's there's so much foreshadowing and little Easter eggs that are kind of being dropped in here in this first episode. But let's just, let's just get into it. Let's do it. So we begin with like a black screen mm. and we hear a voice speaking in Klingon. And then there's captions at the bottom that are 
like in the Klingon alphabet and then they change. And we're listening to a speech by Klingon. The blackness of the field of space turns into like a Klingon's, like the landscape of their face very close up. And we're listening to this Klingon. What we learn is yes. Klingons because this is sort of a new interpretation of Klingons. Oh, that's right. I had a friend who started this week who was like, so the Klingons, what's going on? They're bold. What's happened? Because this is what, this is like the third, third Klingon makeover yeah. in the franchise. But I, you know what? I, and I remember when I first saw it, I was like, well, these are the Klingons. Oh, all right, cool. They're a little more Klingon-y. Uh, <laughs> it's not your, it's not your daddy's uh, wharf. No. <laughs> but um, nonetheless... We hear like a very long sort of inspiring speech by Klingon uh, about the dangers of it's like a very, you know, I don't want to get political, but it's a very sort of like, don't let the outsiders come in here and ruin our Klingon culture. We need to unite the 24 broken houses and clans of the Klingon Empire and stay away from those whose I think the final words are like whose destruction comes with the words, we come in peace. Mm. And then it cuts. Smash cut. To a big desert, it's like a broad desert expanse, and we see two tiny figures walking along the desert, and uh, we hear one character say, we come in peace. Isn't that what Starfleet is all about? Yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Come to find out, we are watching uh, Michael Burnham, Commander Michael Burnham, and her captain, Giorgio, Captain Giorgio, mm -hmm. Philippa Giorgio. Played by Michelle Yeoh. Yes, yes, played by Michelle. Played wonderfully by Michelle Yeoh. Mm -hmm. uh, walking along the sands on some sort of mission where they've been dropped onto this planet that some sort of meteor went by and drained it of its water or something and heated it up. And so they need to go there, but they need to... And I, they didn't call it the Prime Directive, but I did write it down this time, what it is called, General Order One, that they not be, you know, seen interfering with the locals. So they try to, like, walk incognito mm -hmm. through this crevasse. They come to a well... They're having all this sort of like wonderful, it's like a French film, yeah. like, you know, the French assassins film or like a Pulp Fiction. They're just having like a weird yes. conversation where you're like, why are these people talking like this? On but that own? little kind of um, general directive number one is sort of yeah. a little nod to Trek fans to say, well, we haven't gotten to the creation of the prime directive yet. We haven't gotten to the prime directive quite, uh, but they're they're trying to help this planet and uh, they go, and there's a storm coming, and Philippa says to Michael, uh, how soon do you think that storm's going to get here? And she turns around and looks at it and says, one hour, 17 minutes, and 22 seconds, uh, which is a ridiculous. <laughs> True Vulcan style. Yeah, well, we don't know that she's that she's Vulcan raised at that time. Indeed. We, I guess that's sort of like a clue that she's a, it's a little specific for a human. Uh, so they managed to get the well open with some targeted phaser pulse blasting out of a phaser rifle. Mm. And uh, are you about to? Uh... There it is. There it goes. Right. Yeah, we have sound effects, guys. It's a not. Bit. We yeah. have a little bit of sound effects. Uh, <laughs> We've got two musicians. We've created a lot of things. Yeah, we've created. It's mostly sound. <laughs> you can just, if you're watching, you should probably just close your eyes. Just sit mm. back, close your eyes, and imagine what it looks like when we say things. Experience the sound bath. Ooh, a sound bath. That's nice. Mm. That's a very nice way to put it. Okay. So just for those who are unfamiliar, what happens is I talk and talk and talk and talk, and Steph interrupts me with important things. So I'm just going to – I'm doing that. That's why it's <laughs> happening this way. Uh, so it turns out the storm is much closer than Michael thought. Ha, ha, ha. And now they're sort of stuck, uh, possibly, because they can't get, a like, a recorder lock. They can't get beamed up. And Georgia looks at, at – uh, Michael and she says follow me Michael 
And we have more sort of interesting conversation uh, in which a salient point is, uh, Georgia says, you've been serving me for however many years, and I think it's time for you to have your own command. Mm. And uh, yes, our Michael Burnham is taken aback at this moment. And we're just sort of you know? shown this relationship of trust and mm-hmm. like number one, like, you know, she calls mm-hmm. her number one. This It sets this whole sort of scene up of like this real trusted relationship between a captain and her number one. Mm-hmm. A mentor and a mentee for sure, yes, right? Um, shaping. My, I mean, telling her like, I think it's time we talked about you having your own command. It's so anyway, it was so wonderful. And then at one point, uh, sort of like a narrative foreshadowing as they're walking, Georgie says, follow my footsteps directly, Michael. Mm. And so anyway, they wind up walking and talking and Michael thinks that they're lost the whole time. And then they come across their own footprints and she goes, oh, no, you let us back in our footprints. We're totally lost. You let us in a circle. And Georgie says, not quite a circle. And then fa 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 fa. Yes, a ship comes down out of the roiling clouds. It is a beautiful starship. This is crucial for any Star Trek pilot. Uh, you've got to have that moment where the ship first shows up. You got to have mm. the fanfare. It's just gorgeous. It, it like, ugh, it's wonderful. And we're kind of at this point not sure is this discovery? Yes, this we think it must be the name of the ship. Right. It's you know. And we find out that it's not, actually. I think we find out right around then that it's actually called the Shenzhou. Yes. Um, so we don't know what discovery means at this point in the show. But uh, they are beamed up. And then as the as the shot pulls away, you see that Georgie led them. Did, sorry, they were, did you say they were beamed up? <laughs> they were beamed up. <laughs> Small things. <laughs> They were no. Listen, this is important. Listen, you have the rundown. I have the sound effects. You have the command center over there. Yeah, no, I know. I can't even imagine what it looks like over there. I'm at the con. You're at the con. Mm. Um, yeah, and as we pull back, we see that Giorgio had them walk in, in like the shape of a Starfleet uh, communicator badge emblem. Uh, so that's just, it's so touching. It's like if you haven't seen Star Trek since Enterprise went off the air and you've only been watching reruns and now this new show's happening and it's like Klingons and like there's a, she calls her number one at one point. Anyway, I got, I get a little verklempt just thinking about it. Uh, that was, <laughs> so then we go to the, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting verklempt right now. It's good, good use of the word. I don't think I've, I've ever used that word. Thank you. Well, you know, sparingly, but twice mm. in the last 10 seconds. Uh, we go to the new, the the credit sequence, and we get to hear the the new Discovery, the theme. Mm. Yes. Which is pretty great. You know, that's also, for those of us who lived through the Enterprise days and that wonderful, wonderful theme song, Faith of the Heart. Does it sound a little like um, this? A little bit? It did sound like this. Oh, this honestly sounds like a little bit tougher than the, <laughs> than the version that was on Enterprise. But uh, uh, we get a great, it's got horns, it's got strings. It's the, anyway, the graphics are great. We could have a whole episode where we just talk about how great mm. the credit sequence is. We could do a whole episode on the music. We could do a whole, mm, that's, a, that's a nerdy me. music thing. Sorry, well, maybe, maybe if we finish all the episodes and we're still waiting for season three, we'll. That's true. Bonus content. Well, look out oh, for it, people. Look out for b- b- bonus content. Uh, okay, so we come back. We get, oh, you know what? I never said the star date for our show because I got so excited, but it doesn't matter. I can get to it at the end. Um, we get commanders, like first mate's log. It's Michael Burnham uh, mm. saying that they're showing up this 
to fix this uh, messed up communications array. They can't determine if it's natural or if it's a deliberate thing. And so there's like a robot working on a thing, but they also are looking at this weird sort of binary star system with gravitational stuff is all out of whack. And they spot some sort of strange anomaly within the system, but the because of the interference, because of the radiation of the two stars rotating around each other, they can't really get a good look at it. So they're wondering if they should just leave it alone or if they should try to go look at it, but they don't have a ship small enough, like a shuttle that can deal with it. And Michael says, I'll go. And this is where we, we, under, we get to, you know, see how much of a sort of a badass Michael is. And we also meet uh, Michael's counterpart, counterpart on the crew, Saru. Played by Doug Jones. Play, played by Doug Jones. Every time you say Doug Jones, uh, you say it's played by somebody, I always go, play wonderfully by so-so. Played wonderfully by Doug played Jones. Played by Doug Jones. But played I didn't, wonderfully like, by Doug Jones. Yeah. Until I saw Doug Jones in Discovery, I didn't realize how much Doug Jones had done. Yeah. Like, Doug Jones is in so many things, but often not visibly as himself. Right. And he's not visible here as himself either. No. Yeah. He is, but he's a very tall gentleman. He is tall. But they also, I think they also put him in their, like, reverse platforms nonetheless, right? That's right. They did, So yeah. he's, like, extra, extra taller than everyone. Super tall. But he's a, a timid, uh, I, f- I forgot to write down the name of the race that he is, but uh, he, uh, for everything that... Kelpian. Oh, yes, he's Kelpian. Well done. See? Thank you. Yeah. Do you yeah. have to interrupt at the right times? That's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I have a job. <laughs> Michael is adventurous and she's a risk taker, but she's also a very uh, logical uh, Vulcan trained mind, which we learn later. Um, Saru is cautious and uh, empathetic and careful, and they squabble like siblings in front of their captain about basically everything. Yeah. Such a sibling relationship of who's trying to win the love. Mm hmm. Who wants to get the most approval? Yeah. Yeah. And then after arguing, you know, uh, Saru's like, we can't go. We should leave it alone. It's too dangerous. And Michael says, we have to go. Otherwise, why come all this way? Giorgio stands up and says, you're both right. Mm. Uh, and Michael says, I'll go. Just put me in like a jumpsuit and I'll fly out there. And then Saru says, you'll die. Your your DNA will come apart like noodles after 20 minutes. To which yes. Michael says, I'll be back in 19. Which is, I don't know, I liked it. Uh, I love that moment. It was great. great. That's like a pretty, I didn't know how to talk about this, but when they agree to that, we get what I consider to be one of the most iconic images from the first season. Mm. One of the most iconic sequences is Michael in the space suit flying into the binary star system to find, and it's gorgeous. I actually, just in preparation for today, wrote down that it starts around 14 minutes and 25 seconds into the episode. So if you're watching on CBS All Access, or if you want to go back and relive it, it's still gorgeous. I've seen it four or five times, Mm. and every time I watch it, I'm still like, this is is beautiful. It is. Uh, It's the acting and the special effects and the music and the story. In any case, Michael flies into the the weird radiation storm and they are tracking her vitals and her heart rate is accelerated and they're having trouble and they have to boost the signal. And then eventually they lose her signal altogether. And she finds this beautiful, strange ship floating and rotating in space. And she sees things on it that could be anything. And she decides to move in close. It's supposed to just be a flyby and she lands on the deck of it. And it's a strange alien artifact floating in space. And she's looking, she, does she hear something behind her? I think so, because she kind of lands and she's like, Poof. Yeah, she like lands, she's looking, she's like recording. 
real Will Robinson style. And then I think she hears something behind her. She turns around to see this figure, mm. a humanoid figure in this huge, armored like uh, armored, full facial covering mm. suit. And with, at this point, we don't know what it is. We don't know that it's a person inside yeah. or a, a humanoid. We, we have no idea. You could assume it was Klingon, but you wouldn't assume it was a Klingon. No. You know, like it was Klingon technology. Yes. Because of the, the cold open. But it attacks her and then her suit helps her attack it. And she like shoves its blade into itself. Because she says something that's like Federation-ish. And it's like, yeah, trigger. it's like, we come in peace. Forget that. That's how you kill us. Never forget what Takuma says. Klingon, mach, ta, jash. Remain Klingon. Indeed. Yeah, I wrote it down. I wrote it down and I practiced it. Good for you. Practiced it in the mirror. I'm not good at Klingon. It's not, you know. Neither am I, but but I, have, I apparently don't have better things to do than to practice Klingon <laughs> phrases. Uh, so then we get a cut. We cut away. And mm. we don't know exactly what's happened to Michael there. No, no, we do know because we, like, we've we hang on. I think you missed a bit. So um, they kind of get into some sort of like em, you know like embrace type thing where you sort of see a blade go through this yes, yeah, armor. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I just meant after that we don't see we don't know oh, who yes. killed who. You're what's right. ha- you know we're just like yeah. <gasps> action suddenly right and then we cut to the back to the Klingons and the Klingon uh, leader Takuvma. I think we learn that. His name is Takuma at that point, is giving a funeral for a fallen soldier. I think we put together. I don't know, because now that I'm watching in retrospect. It's the torchbearer, so it's the guy that just died. But we didn't necessarily know that that was a torchbearer mm. at that moment. Right. Anyway, he's 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 eulogizing the torchbearer. At first, I always thought it was sort of a throwaway scene, except that it was so cool. You know, like the he's laying in the coffin, and then mm-hmm. they open his eyes before they bury him and then the ship goes out and apparently they keep their dead in like airtight containers on the hull of their ship which is that's new oh whoa that was pretty sweet there's a pretty great uh speech there which i think that i wrote down but maybe we'll save them for later and they do the klingon you know the death cry which is a great shout out to tng they do the as the soldier goes up and that is the end of that scene. Then we switch back to Michael, and it's a flashback. Ooh. Mm. And we need some flashback. Next I time. I don't think I yeah. plugged my keyboard in. And it's Michael in one of those Vulcan-like test spheres. And it's like a young Michael. She's got to be, what, 10, 11 or something like yeah. that? Maybe young. even younger. Maybe even younger. Um, same like having her sort of Vulcan SATs. It's Vulcan SATs, which we've seen in a, like other Star Trek movies. It's usually a Spock dealing with some sort of, and it's like a barrage of questions from a holographic yeah. wall, and she's kind of just nailing it. She's doing all the blah 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 blah. But then they ask her about a particular um, Klingon massacre that happened at a particular like star observatory, mm-hmm. and she kind of freezes up and then it asks it again and says that her her question time was insufficient and then she starts crying and then eventually the program shuts off and we see above her an adult Vulcan whom she addresses as Sarek. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, to all Star Trek fans out there who've watched the original series, TNG, the movies, we all know Spock's father. We do. And his name is Sarek. It's Ambassador Sarek. I mean, come on. This was great. We're going like, what? 
why is she talking to Sarek? Who's like speaking to her almost as a father figure. And she's apologizing for letting her emotions get the better of her. So this is where we find out that she was sort of raised as a Vulcan and is trying to adhere to pure logic. And there's... We don't know why she was raised as a Vulcan We don't yet. quite know why. Yes. Um, but there's a wonderful heartbreaking moment where she apologizes and says, maybe I should you know, brush up my Vulcan so I can give the answers in Vulcan because my human tongue is too slow. And Sarek says with, you know, just passionate Vulcan expression, your human tongue is not the problem. It's your human heart. And then cut to grown Michael inside some sort of DNA repair tube. She's got scars all over her body, but she wakes up. Radiation. Radiation because her DNA was coming apart like noodles. Yes. And she's clearly maybe like a third of the way through this (laughs) restorative process. But she wakes up and she goes, Klingons, someone's got to warn. Yeah. So she like pulls the the full. Yeah. Just, and I've said this before, this is like such a James T. Kirk move. She like just pops the thing open, rips the things off. The doctor's like, you gotta, don't you know what could happen? You're sick. She's like, I gotta get to the bridge. Like throws on like a robe and goes to the bridge barefoot in a robe. Is it even a robe? It looked like a sheet. In in hindsight, I think it was a robe. I think it had a little tie, but it does look like just like a bed sheet. And she's just, yeah, open wounds on her face, disheveled, like the sclera thing in her eye, you know, just looking horrible from death's door. And she shows up and she's like, there were Klingons out there. We got to do something. And they go Klingons because they hadn't seen the footage from her suit. And this is the part Steph loves because I have to say that Michael says, you want me to do it just right away? No one has seen Klingons in over a hundred years. How long? Over a hundred years. Love it. One hundred years. <laughs> it's also fun for me. Sometimes... When I'm by myself and not recording, I just turn the mic on and say that to myself. Do yep. you like go into the bathroom and just like do it off the, the walls? I go Klingon Makta Josh 100 years. That's what I do for fun. That's how my pandemic is going. So uh, <laughs> they're like, what? And she's like, seriously, you got to do something about it. And no one really believes her. And there, I guess it's once again an argument between Saru and Michael, uh, and it's about trying to get the captain to go with their idea. Saru, of course, begs caution: "Don't do anything. Let's just get out of here. You should be back in sick bay." Michael says, "We gotta. There's something we gotta." And so, drawing on her knowledge of Klingons, she says, "Let's aim the ship's weapons." At that object. And Saru says, you're not going to start a war by firing, you know? And she goes, I'm not saying anything about firing. Mm. And then Georgiou catches on and she says, oh, yeah, we'll make them think we're firing. And they do that. And guess what? A big old Klingon ship decloaks right in front of them. I don't have a song for that. So the... (laughs) (laughs) A big Klingon warbird. These are the most annoying aspects of my personality being given free reign on this podcast, but (laughs) it's it's too late now. You're right. I'm in it for the long haul now. Yeah, you've really set yourself up for at least two seasons worth of Mm. me talking about and being excited about Star Trek. I don't think I've ever seen you this excited. I don't know what happened yeah. between last I, week and this week. My heart is racing. Well, you know, it's you <laughs> got to get it up there for the live show. You got to do it. You got to do it real. This is our first real rundown. Mm. You know. Okay, so we cut now back to the Klingon vessel, and Takuma's got all the assembled his like disciples, 
And he says, okay, who will be the next torchbearer? Who is the brother of this man? And some timid guy's like, oh, like I'm like his brother, I guess. And Tukubin's like, what's up? You're going to be the next torchbearer? And he's like, with respect, like, how do we know the turning on the light of Kalos is going to bring these people? It's like basically a myth. And Tukubin gets in his face and he's like, oh, you doubt? Well, you dishonor only yourself. And then we hear a voice from the throng say, I will be the next torchbearer. And the people part. And we see an albino Klingon mm-hmm. step yep. forward, which the Kubma describes. He says, you have no family sword. Uh, you are not from a great noble house. Uh, you are not worthy to be the torchbearer. And uh, this Klingon, whom we later come to know as Volk, Volk, walks up and he says, I am. Klingon sounds uh, so much like Arabic. This, like the way it's done in this series, and I'm like, there's just so much kind of like guttural sounds going on. Well, there's the there's the glottal stop for sure in a bunch of this stuff, but yeah, I, it's also got like a sing songy like I don't know what you what I would call it like not quite Danish or something, but it's a mixture of those like Arabic uh, syllables which I studied in college, um, and like this uh, go cook it go. Cool. You know, like a tonal aspect to it. I guess more like, like um, I'm thinking like Mandarin or something. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I want to take a moment just to say that the actors doing the Klingon in this series do a wonderful job of speaking the language without it sounding, you know, yeah, cartoonish. It's pretty great. And it's, you know, it's just, you know, looking at Trek lore and the series, like I remember watching this and going, oh, they're speaking Klingon with mm-hmm. subtitles. It's not like they've, you know, we have a universal translator and the Klingons mm-hmm. are speaking English and they're sort of doing it with a bit of a Klingon accent. They're like, listen up, except every once in a while they call them a patak yeah. or something. Right. Or say <laughs> yeah. kapla, you know. Kapla. Like yes. Well, in any case, this Volk walks up and he says, uh, I am not worthy by blood, but by faith. And then he puts his hands in the flames of the ship and he says, you know, the flames of Kalis will prove me worthy. And he just leaves him there as his hand is cooking and they all stare. And then eventually Takuma comes over and says, you are worthy. You will be the torchbearer. And then he, oh, he gives him his weapon, his sword, his, I assume those are supposed to be batleths. I think so. It's a big yeah. batleth. Anyway, I love them. They look great. They're like so awesome. I miss the batleths from TNG, but these are pretty sweet. These look like really deadly. They did look like a sort of big bow and arrow type thing. It was just a big one. Yeah. More like it would have reach, whereas the batleths in TNG look like are fun they look like fun they look like american gladiator weapons or something yes which was totally, obviously going right? on at the time yeah mm-hmm. which was going on at the time <laughs> see how we delve into the anthropology of the moment yeah. this is tng is mm. the 80s this is uh now okay so he says great he gives him the weapon he says you will be the torchbearer light the light of Kalis. so we go back now to discover or to not to the shenju See, see what I almost did there? Uh, we learn Saru gives a sort of speech about like the difference between him and Michael as they're dealing with this, like these are Klingons, which we do. Georgia has told them to like contact Starfleet and tell them that they have made contact with Klingons and should we go? And Saru explains that the um, the Kelpians, there's no food chain on their planet. It's a binary culture. They were bred by the other race on their, their the other intelligent race on their planet to be hunted and eat. And their evolutionary, their their evolutionary apex for Kelpians is to sense. He calls it the coming of death, and he's and then he looks at Michael and says, "I sense it now." Yeah, ominous. Pretty cool. Anyway, Doug Jones, you got my vote, buddy. 
Billy Butcherson and Hocus Pocus, by the way. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, I got confused. Probably one of the only times you've seen him as like with his own face. I saw an interview with him and I was like, hmm, Doug Jones. So now we get into like where things here get a little complex and weird. So there's a meeting that an admiral with Georgiou and Michael walks into it and the admiral says, do nothing. Um, wait till our ships get there. And Michael's sort of advocating that they have to do something. They have to make a more aggressive posture because these are Klingons. So we see this standout of like the Klingons and Starfleet and they've not seen each other for, for how long? 100 years. Excellent. And Philippa Giorgio has to decide what is the best way to avoid starting a war. She has these two options. She has Saru who's saying, let's get out of here. And you've got Michael who's like, no, we need to fire up. We need to fire weapons. And it'll... Yeah, this is the, the only way we make sure that they don't attack us. And at that moment, after the argument that Michael has sort of with the Admiral and Georgiou, the light mm. of Kalis turns on. A yep. blinding light emanates from the artifact and it just like overwhelms all the sensors. We get a red alert, our only red alert of uh, the episode. Found it. There it is. Red alert. You found it. And yes. So now they've got this blinding light coming in through the view screen and they don't know exactly what's going on and things are getting crazy. And Michael asks to be excused from the bridge. Uh, she runs back to her room and she places a call to a certain Sarek. Yeah, she has a wee FaceTime with adopted father Sarek. That's right. With adopted father Sarek, who's also the father of Spock. Hmm. Mm. When is this taking place? Where's Spock and all this? So weird anyway. Uh, anyway, so he might be, you know, he could be, uh, you know, doing the whatever. Uh, I was going to say the gum jabbar, but that's from Dune. Pianfar? Nope. That's, that's like the Vulcan puberty. I can't remember what the thing is where you do the ritual to have perfect logic. Colonar? It is Colonar. <gasps> I'm know, two for two. Between the two of us, we know everything about Star Trek. <laughs> Oh, I'm such a nerd. Yay. No, that was great. Thank you for picking up the pieces. You're welcome. Um, anyway, so and I'm I, you know, I remember watching this and being like, where is Black right now? Anyway, Sarek and Michael have a discussion. He tells her not to get emotional. She says, I'm not emotional, but we kind of know that like this is when we get to experience Michael's sort of like this conflict that's going on internally inside of her, where it's this Vulcan control. Mm over one's emotions and thoughts in order to, ha uh, you know, retain logic under stressful situations, meeting with an extremely traumatic, hinted at, uh, like, past trauma and, a, and a, an emotional human psyche, which is trying to break free of these controls. And so she starts to have this this battle of wills, but it's really her, her own wills battling back and forth. And it makes, for me, it makes Michael... A very compelling character because her her conflict is writ within her. It's that's that's already a conflict in the series is that this character mm. is com is is complicated and trying to do the right thing. So it's not the perfect the yeah. logic of a Spock versus the cowboy playing poker isms of a Kirk. It's that in one person, and it's Michael. Anyway, I don't want to go mm. crazy about it, but I. We'll write an essay or something. You can do a blog. I mean, who do, who's to say I don't have a secret blog? <laughs> or two or three. Uh, she asks Eric, 
hey, how, how did you guys achieve peace with the with the Klingons? And Tarek says, okay, well, as soon as we saw them, we fired on them. And then the next time we saw them, we fired on them. And then eventually they decided they wanted to talk to us. And what he says is that with violence came respect and respect brought peace. And he says they called it this thing of like, as soon as you see them without trying to raise them or hail them or any frequencies, just firing Mm. on them, he called it the Vulcan hello, which is where we get the name for this episode. Anyway, Michael decides, okay, we got a Vulcan hello. So she goes running back to the bridge. She says, I got to talk to you, Giorgio. They go into the room. She says, we have to do this thing. They go into Giorgio's ready room. They, you got to do this thing. We have to fire on them. This is, I'm telling you, this is the only way to do it. Georgiou says, that's not what we do. That's not Starfleet. We're not going to fire first. We're not going to start a war out here. Um, and Michael says, we have to. Georgiou says, you can't let your emotions, again, hinting at some past trauma involving yeah. Klingons. We don't know exactly what it is. And in the meantime, the Klingons are, have lit this beacon to say to all other Klingons, come, come now. All 24 houses. Now, if you believe in the... The Torchbearer's actual brother, maybe they won't come because it's just a myth. But if you believe in Tukuvma mm. and Volk, then all Klingons must come to the call when the light of right. Kalos is lit. So we, so we really don't know, like no one, like the Klingons don't know if their people are coming. Tukuvma and Volk have faith, but everyone, they're like, this could be the beginning of something. I don't know. Got to unite the 24 houses. And the Starfleet has no idea what's going on. At this point, but they're they're like sort of sitting, they're waiting, and they're trying to do the diplomatic thing. And Michael says, like, we should have fired on them. Georgia basically shuts her down, says you can't do it. Michael pretends to understand, and then betrayal of betrayals, the fall from grace, the greatest crime. She hits her with the Vulcan neck pinch and knocks mm. her out. This captain number one bond. Yeah, her own captain, the one with which she had such great rapport. Which I mean, when we discussed earlier like the idea of volcan and volcan moments i don't know what that fits under can you pick one i'm gonna go with i volcan i volcan yeah i think she chose to go with logic even if it was ruthless because she thought she was doing something logical but in actuality i think a lot of the the her reaction is based on her human emotion, uh, her fear of the, like, well, I don't want to spoil anything. So You don't want to spoil anything, you sure? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. She goes back out in, onto the bridge and she says, okay, hey, uh, it's me, uh, the the number one. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to fire on that vessel. And they're all like, what, who, what? And she goes, no, you got to fire on that vessel. Fire, 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 fire. And Saru is sort of like, where's the captain? I don't think we should do that. And Michael's doing everything to sort of cover up this mutiny and just have it happen. I guess she's decided she would rather make this move. And I think she thinks she's protecting the Federation and she'll just throw her career out the window. I mean, that's what she's signing up for in this moment you know she's just trying to get the shot off she's not really trying to take over the ship uh you can mute yourself i'll figure something uh, out and just as oh here comes a fire truck <laughs> and, and just, just as, as a fire, fire truck, truck came, came by, by uh i thought we could have one of these uh little moments where we pay tribute to the fallen klingon whose name I have completely forgotten. 
But Aki has so very kindly written so much, well, not written, composed much of the music and the arrangements for our shows. And you may recognize this of the heart. May I just say while this music is playing to our fallen torchbearer, Klingon Mach Tach Shush. Indeed. Wow. That was uh, some, some improvisation, if I do Eesh. say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I live close to a hospital. It, it's bound to happen. I didn't think it would be on our inaugural maiden voyage <laughs> first show, but sometimes like 14 ambulances will drive by. It'll so, be edited out of the audio episode. It will be. The, for those of you watching live, you get to see how the sausage is made. <laughs> uh, anyway, just as they're about to fire, uh, Giorgio comes out of staggering out of the room. And she's holding a phaser. She has said her phaser. Let me tell you what. And she's holding it on a mic and she says, belay that order. And then they're, you know, now the mutiny is revealed. And just as they're about to sort of face off on the ship, the light of Kalos goes out and a bunch of ships suddenly are picked up on the scanners. And Georgie says, are they Starfleet? They all come out of warp. They all come out of warp? Yep. But they're not Starfleet. No. They're all Klingon. They're all Klingon. Klingon. Josh. So that's the end. That's the end. That's the end of episode one. Yeah. It was like, yeah, internal, external, and cosmic conflicts abound. There's, there's no solid ground here. So we, we've had the rundown, so I think it's time to set phasers. Set phasers to stats. Indeed. Yeah. So what stats do we have? Normally we would have a ton of stats, but this is episode one, so there's not a lot of stats. We barely even see, like, our primary characters in this episode. Yeah, we only see Saru... Burnham, Georgiou, we get glimpses of other people. We haven't met the doctor we yet. Get the, we we get a couple yet. of the Klingons. We do get Vogue. We get Vogue. And Laurel. And Laurel. Briefly, we get Laurel. Yeah, we don't, we don't, spoiler alert. Oh, no. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. There's one, like, uh, she doesn't really say on screen, but they have, you know, they do the whole on screen enhance thing to try and see the anomaly. Mm-hmm. They never really set phasers, but when she asked Michael what she needs to set the phaser to in order to break through the ground in the opening sequence where they save the well, Michael tells her it needs to be set to 13.5. Um, there, Which is a new one. It's not like, set phasers yeah, to... Yeah, she's like 13.5 at pulse power or whatever. Blast. Um, blast. Blast. And... Uh, we had one red alert. Red alert. We had the one. That's all we got. We had one red alert. No, you're totally right. I I decided to, I, I, I glanced over it. I apologize. So those are really the stats. We have some other stats that we know will become relevant down the line, but uh, we, mm, won't, we, do. we won't uh, give that away just yet. All right. So, Aki, I think the next thing that we do is quotable moments. Wow. Who's that excitable... <laughs> Person saying quotable moments. Quotable. Thank you, my mom. Yeah, it must be your. <laughs> well, I channeled, channeled my mom. You channeled your mom, yeah. and as I said, the the teapot from Beauty and the Beast. Angela Lansbury herself. 
Uh, okay, so there's only a couple quotes from here that I really liked. I love uh, Sarek saying, it's not your human tongue that is the problem. It's your human heart. I loved Kukma saying, so you doubt yourself, you only, so you doubt you only dishonor yourself. And I mm. very much love the speech that he gives as he is the sort of the eulogy to the first torchbearer. He says, our ancestors welcome our fallen brother to their black fleet. They fight with us as we fight against our enemy, which, hey, that sounds pretty good in English, but in Klingon, oh my, it is superb. If you couldn't quote an entire thing in Klingon for the next episode, I will send you dinner. I mean... Because, of course, that's how we have to do things these days. You can quote, I will send you dinner. That's uh, all I can do. That's all, that is truly all we can do. I have to say, my favorite moment, or my, my quotable moment, um, was with the high levels of radiation kicking off in the binaries, she'll have 20 minutes before her DNA starts to unravel like noodles. Mm. That's I fantastic. That. That was, that's classic yeah. uh, Star Trek. That's perfectly... It's perfectly <laughs> hyperbolic. Also gives you a little sciencey stuff, but it gives you a sense of the danger. And you get you get to experience this yeah. like, oh, okay, this is kind of dangerous. And of course, Michael just coolly coming back yeah. and saying, like noodles, I'll be back in 19. I mean, that is badassery. Class. Well. Absolute class. Should we. Class and badass. Wrap it up. Is that, is it wrap up time? I believe it is wrap up time. My favorite thing to ask you, Aki, is what is coming up? Next time. On set phasers. <laughs> well, next time on set phasers, we'll be getting into uh, season one, episode two of Star Trek Discovery, which the title kind of gives it away is called Battle at the Binary Stars. So we'll. It sounds yeah. like, you know, like Battle of the Something. Like we know that this, mm -hmm. is, we feel like this is going to be Star Trek lore. This is, this is going to, this is huge. And uh, yeah, I guess we know that now we'll see the repercussions of the mutiny and the Klingon showing up and will the Federation get there in time and what all is going to happen? This is only episode two. I mean, come on. Goodness gracious. Um, anyway, thank you all, anyone who's out there watching uh, and anyone who is uh, listening right now after the fact. Uh, thank you to all our people who have supported us um, already on Patreon. Um if you enjoy the program, you can catch us every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live or as a podcast every Monday, wherever podcasts come from, please subscribe. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Set Phasers Podcast. Feel free to follow us and join the conversation of all things Trek. And by all means, please give us a piece of your mind. Yes. And if you want to support us on our continuing mission <laughs> to discover what Discovery has in store for us, we'd only be delighted. You can patronize us. We can take it by coming by going to patreon.com slash set phasers. I hate that joke and I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, until next time, I'm Stephanie Manns and this has been Set Phasers. And I'm Aki Burmese and I guess I'm fighting for my life in the mirror universe. <laughs> <laughs> Computer. End program. Mm -hmm.